Yes, I appreciate you coming out here this Christmas morning. I know that you've had to adjust something with your, with your schedules, certainly in order to do so. Um, at the Brandon household, we're having Christmas morning on Tuesday morning. We've done that before when Christmas falls on a, on a Sunday before. It, it works just fine. Um, Tuesday will feel just like Christmas for us. Well, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. We're going to look this morning at just this one passage of Scripture, just these, these two verses. This is in contrast to uh, what we have been looking at this Advent season, because in, in recent weeks we've been considering this theme, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, just, just from broad scopes of Scripture. I've tried not even just to focus on, on one particular verse or one particular passage, um, but just tried to get the whole overall flavor of the Old Testament. And, and I've argued that, that the cry of the Old Testament is this cry, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And from the time of the Exodus to the time of the Judges, through the Kings, and from the time of the exile in Babylon, this, this has always been the cry of the people of God. <laughs> God, we need your help. You need to come. You need to redeem us. You need to help us. Or as we say, Christmas time, O come, O come, Emmanuel. David Mathis wrote, he called this, the universal longing of the hearts of the people of God. He wrote this. He says, for centuries, God's first covenant people focused their universal longings on a promised coming seed of the woman or an offspring of Abraham or a prophet like Moses And then in full flower, a Messiah, great David's greater offspring, a supremely anointed one. And this is the the longing of the hearts of the people of God always. As the people down through the centuries have cried out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, certainly God has heard them. He has delivered the righteous from their perils. He has sent judges and kings and prophets but he didn't send the help in the grand way that Israel hoped for or, or the, the thrust that all Scripture points to in seeing the Messiah come and rule and reign over them. And, and, and one big question that comes out here is, why didn't God send Messiah earlier? Right? Why did he wait several thousand years after this covenant with Abraham? And then a thousand years after his covenant with David, why, why did he wait so long to send the Messiah? Well, this Christmas morning, as we celebrate the coming of, of the Messiah, I just want to answer that question in one passage of Scripture. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. This brings us right to the, the Christmas story and gives us the purpose of why it is that God came to be with us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And this passage here is literally packed with truth about Jesus. These verses speak about His life, His birth, His life, His death, His humanity, and purpose even for living it's appropriate for us this morning as we, we think about, O come, O come, Emmanuel, for the last three weeks we've been looking at the Old Testament. And they're longing, O come, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Well, today he's come. And that's what this verse speaks about. And my first point is simply this. Jesus came at the right time. He came at the right time. After centuries of hearing the cry from his people, O come, O come, Emmanuel, he, he finally did. 
He did in his own time. He did at the right time. And it was the right time uh, politically. Uh, Jesus came in a, a period of time known as the Pax Romana. What does Pax Romana mean? The Roman peace. It, it, was, it was a time in which Rome really experienced an extended season of peace. Some have dated this 200 um, that's a 200-year period, beginning in, in B.C. 27, when Octavian fully conquered all his enemies. It's like, no more place to be conquered. Like, we have peace now. And in that time, they could, they could build up the roads and build up the infrastructure. And it was, a united emperor, it was a united empire ruled by a single empire with one set of laws for 200 years. And with these roads improved and the, the Greek culture even permeating society, the point became Greek became a universal language. Politically, everything was ready for the reception and the spread of the gospel. There could not have been a more strategic time for Christ to have come in the ancient world for his message than to spread. To spread. So Jesus came at the right time. He came at the right time politically. He came at the right time spiritually. It's not just the political environment that was ready. We also see that God's chosen nation, Israel, was was spiritually ready for the coming of Christ. And that's really the context of Galatians chapter 3, where Paul tells us a little bit about the history of Israel. If you you look there in Galatians 3 and turn back to verse 8, we see that God speaks of the promise to Abraham which came about 2,000 years before the coming of Jesus. He says in verse 8, that the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. That's God's promise, that it's, it's through Abraham that all the nations will be blessed. And then, 430 years later, God gave the law to Moses, and Paul is very careful in Galatians 3 to point out that this, this law that came didn't nullify this previous promise. In fact, even that's exactly what he says in verse 17, if you look down there. This is what I mean. The, the law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenantly previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. In other words, right, the law was given not to replace the promise of Abraham. It had another purpose. The, the law was to lead the people of Israel to Christ by showing them their sin, to show they'd never be justified by the works of the law. In fact, that's, look, look down at verse 24 of chapter 3. This is all leading up to chapter 4. This is the context of how at the right time, when the fullness of time had come. Verse 24, it says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, some translations translate this, not guardian, but tutor. The law was our tutor, like a, a schoolmaster who, who teaches his child. But when the, the, the child becomes of age, the schoolmaster is no longer needed. It's like, like one who is 18 or who has graduated. You don't need the schoolmaster anymore. And that's, that's the, the picture of the law, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. The idea is, is that Israel was ready spiritually. God had first given the promise to Abraham, then he provided a law to teach the people of Israel in order to lead them to the fulfillment of the promise that would come in Jesus when they came of age. The time to remove the law from them. We see in chapter 4 and verse 4, this came in the fullness of time. The time was right. They graduated. They, they were there. But the time was also right politically, or prophetically rather. God determined beforehand exactly when the sun would, would come on earth. It, God wasn't looking at history like a, um, like a stockbroker, 
looking for the right opportunity for that stock to dip right at the bottom and then buy it there and so he can sell higher. The manager looking at the, looking at the pitcher just saying, can he go another inning? Can he go another pitch? Like how long until I finally can come? No, God had promised all beforehand in Daniel. He prophesied the time of the coming of the Messiah. Now, I won't take the time this morning to show you from Daniel 9, verse 25, how God promised hundreds of years earlier, almost 500 years earlier, that this is the time I was going to come. It's almost like the manager says, the pitcher's going to last six innings, and then I'm coming out to remove him. Like, like God said, this is the time when I'm coming, and it's, it's all set. He was there prophetically. Uh, I leave for your homework. Daniel 9, 25. You can Google that. Look, look all up on that. It's just amazing how... Christ came right at the, the time he was prophesied to come. Well, Galatians 4 teaches that Christ came at the right time when the, the political season was so strategic for the spread of the gospel, when the spiritual climate was right for Israel to transition right away from the law but through faith and when the prophetic timeline had come. But we also learn, secondly, that Jesus came in the right way. He came not only at the right time, but he came in the right way. This tells us of, of Christmas Verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God came by sending his son, born of a woman, just like anyone else. I mean, this is a Christmas story, is it not? The son of God, who was in essence God himself, was born into the world just like any other baby. He came to be a man just like us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Now, certainly the birth of Jesus was special in so many ways. And we were reminded, last night we were reminded, um, reminded often maybe as we've read stories in your family of, of just the, the Christmas story about how Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem to register for, for the census in that time that, that she gave birth. But it was, it was special drawing him to Bethlehem. And when they're in that, that place, the inn, there was no room in the inn. Right In that place, wherever they were, whether it's a cave or an extra room or the manger or the barn or whatever it was, um, at that point, the, the angels came to the shepherds and they, they announced this miraculous, special birth. We know the Magi, even we read that this morning from Matthew chapter 2, who followed the star because there was something special about the birth of this child. But this birth of, of Jesus was also normal. Uh, I mean, the stories of Christmas point us to the fact that Jesus was born just like any other child is born. That is, born of a woman. In, in this case, the woman was Mary, who experienced the labor pains that all women experience in going through birth. This is just very normal. God came in the right way. He came born of a woman. That's the emphasis that Jesus took on flesh and blood. So just think about the experience. Jesus taking on flesh and blood, everything that he experienced. He hungered, he thirsted, he laughed and he cried, he was happy and he was sad. He felt the pain of a loved one. He felt the joy and the energy of children. He enjoyed the pleasant things of life, like eating and drinking. Just just pleasurable, that is. He suffered the pains of life, being whipped and scourged. He was tempted. He was ridiculed and teased. He was loved. He was helped by others. He was hated. But he was a man in every sense of the word. Jesus was not a ghost. 
He was not some phantom. He didn't just appear to be a man. He wasn't just some spirit. If you would have hugged Jesus in those days, you would have felt his warmth upon your body as well. It was important for Jesus to become like us. In order to help us, he had to be made like us. We need a sacrifice for our sins. And no animal could offer up his life for ours. As Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Likewise, he couldn't have been an angel to come as an atoning sacrifice because an angel's death can't atone for human sins. We need a human death to atone for human sins. And the only way that Jesus could help us, we made a man. Just like us, with all the temptations and all the desires and all the passions that we experience. Jesus came in the right way. He was born of a woman, but he was also born under the law. It simply means he was born during a time when the law was in effect. When Jesus was born, the people of God were required to follow the legislation that Moses had given. Jesus and his family followed the law carefully. Circumcised the eighth day is what he was, according to the law. He was presented to the Lord right after the days of his purifications were completed, just exactly according to the law. That's the time, you remember, in in Luke chapter 2, when his parents offered a pair of turtle doves and young pigeons. That was according to the law. His family made yearly trips to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, where many sacrifices were offered to the Lord according to the law. And certainly he had been to Jerusalem as well for, the, for Pentecost as well. This is what it means to be born under the law. Now, it's important for Jesus to be born as a man, but it's equally important for him to be born under the law in all things. It's partly why the Scriptures says this, Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made like his brethren in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because the people of Israel were under the law, it was necessary for him to come under the law as well to redeem those who were under the law. And yet Jesus, though being under the law, in many ways rose above the law because he as a man never broke any laws. He never yielded to temptation, never broke a single commandment but was a spotless Lamb of God who loved God perfectly and who loved neighbor perfectly. He was a spotless Lamb of God who became the acceptable sacrifice for God. The child who was born in a manger, manger would become a man to die upon the cross. And that's what we see in the verse 5. My last point this morning, that Jesus came for a right reason. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. Really the the culmination of the Christmas story. It's where it all ends. This is the message of Christianity, that, that Christ came to redeem us, to redeem those who are under the law. And God sent forth His Son to accomplish redemption. He accomplished redemption for those who are under the law. And when God originally gave the law, the people received it gladly. The law is a glorious thing. When Moses gave the law, he said, What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all the law that I set before you today? Deuteronomy 4, verse 8. Isaiah tells us that the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify the law and make it glorious. Isaiah 42, verse 21. The psalmist declares, Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. The law is good and righteous. And yet when, when sinful and imperfect people try to live underneath a, a perfect and righteous and good law, 
They're constantly confronted with their own sinfulness. So they behold their failures to live up to the righteous standards of the law. That's the experience that Paul described. Romans 7, I'm not sure if you remember that passage. Paul said the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Confessing how good the law is, how how glorious it is, and how, how helpful it is. And he said, I joyfully concur with the law of God, my inner man. It was holy and righteous and good law that Paul said, this is good. And yet he had his flesh when he tried to live out the law. He saw something else in his flesh. He said, I'm I'm sold into bondage to sin. He said, though I joyfully concur with the law in the inner man, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. What Paul's saying is this, the law is good. I want to do the things of the law, but... In my flesh, I don't. And and there's the whole point of why Jesus came is because the law points out how we should live. How Jesus lived, and yet we don't live that way. And there's this gap, and somehow we we, we we have to bring those things together. And we can't bring those things together by being good enough to get there. We need Jesus to die and pay the penalty for our sins. See, it's through the law that comes the knowledge of sin. Do you feel this? Do you know what it is that Paul says, oh, I know the right thing to do, but in my flesh, I just don't do it. Are there things which you know you should do, but you don't do them anyway? Are there things you know you shouldn't do, but you do them anyway? That's how the temptation of the flesh works. First, we know what's right, but we see something that maybe attracts us, catches our attention. We begin thinking about it. We begin desiring it. We begin craving it, just like Eve in the garden. We talked about that last night, just seeing the fruit and, and wanting it, desiring it, see it was not, and, then, and then taking it and eating it. And we, and we do the same thing. As we begin to, to desire this sin and, and crave it, we're like a steaming locomotive that, that's got so much momentum we cannot stop. And we carry through. That's how temptation works. Maybe you felt like Paul, who felt like a prisoner. He said He described he was a prisoner of the law of sin. You feel like that? Like, you know what? I just can't do it. I, I can't do it all. Well, then Christmas brings good news for us this morning because Jesus Christ came to redeem those who are under the law. The Father sent His Son to rescue His imprisoned people. It was prophesied to the Messiah that He would open blind eyes and bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. That's what he does. We're imprisoned by the law, but he opens our eyes and takes us out of that. Christ Jesus came to set prisoners free. That's why he came. He came, as it says, right? Look look at verse 5 again. To redeem those who were under the law. And he did so by dying on the cross, taking the punishment that our sins deserve. You look back in chapter 3 and verse 13, it describes how Jesus redeemed us. The word is used in verse 5 about how he redeemed us from, to redeem those who were under the law. In verse 13, we see that Christ redeemed us. This is how he did it. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And see, Jesus took the curse for us. That's where the Christmas story ends, right? It begins today with a baby in a manger. A baby born of a woman, Mary. But it ends with Christ upon the cross, cursed in our place. 
And I know you've heard this story before. I feel like um, songwriter Mel Torme, who wrote, I know it's been said many times, many ways. What did he say? Merry Christmas. How many times have you heard Merry Christmas this season? Over and over and over and over. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Right? But so likewise, this message you've heard over and over and over again needs to be said again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came in order to redeem those who were under the law. And we must not catch the significance. We must catch the significance of what Christ had done for us. Right? We're no longer in prison awaiting the execution. We've been set free by his blood through faith and trust in him. This only comes to those who believe and trust. If you're trusting in your own works, you're a prisoner. When you believe and trust in Christ who's died for you, that's when the spring gates are, are opened up. But God has given us even more than redemption. If you look here in verse 5, He's given us adoption. Verse 5, to redeem us, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Believers in Jesus Christ are adopted children. God has taken us and loved us, and cared for us, and considered us to be as precious to Him as His own Son, Jesus. We are by faith His sons and His daughters. You say, what is adoption? A little girl once was, who was adopted was once asked by her fellow classmates, well, what does it mean to be adopted? And she responded, it means that you grew in your mommy's heart rather than in your mommy's tummy. That's what it means. And God's adoption of us is similar, is that we grow in God's heart. See, God has set His love upon us. He set His love upon us, not because of our merits, or of our goodness, because we deserve it. Right? It's not because our family was so lovely. It's not because we were so righteous or good. God says love upon us and died for us when we were yet sinners, Romans 5.8. His love was so great that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And so that's the miraculous thing about, about Christmas is that when Jesus came into the world, he so closely associated himself with people. He said he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. We sinful men, Jesus loved us. And those who believe in him, he calls brethren. He's not ashamed of us to call us brothers. We're brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. First John 3, verse 1 says, Behold, we are children of God. That is the adoption. And we can enjoy intimate fellowship with him as, as adopted sons and daughters of God. Verse 6 and 7 explain. Just the importance of what this means. He says, to redeem us from, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent you the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So that you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And there's, there's a progression, right? For, for those who believe and trust in Christ, God, God calls us His children and then sends His Spirit into us 
so that we can have this intimate relationship with God that, that knows God, that prays God, that calls him Abba, which some translations even call Daddy. Just an intimate relationship with the Lord, right? We're sons. A, a son has a different relationship with the, the master of the house than a slave does. A slave is, yes, sir. A son is, right, goes up to Daddy and gets hugs and kisses. And that's what it is. And, and it says even here that we are an heir, an heir through God. That is the inheritance that's waiting for us. Romans 8, verse 17, describes that we're told that we are fellow heirs with Jesus. It's amazing. I mean, Jesus is the, the King of kings and Lord of lords who will inherit everything. And yet, we as his brother become an heir of the world, the universe as well. It's astonishing. But that's what it means that God is with us coming at the right time in the right way for the right reason. Well, our sermon series has been entitled, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Well, I'm here to tell you today that Emmanuel has come. This is Christmas, and this is what we celebrate. May you celebrate this in your heart. May you embrace Jesus by faith today. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, especially perhaps for those who are here who don't know Christ, who haven't embraced Jesus by faith. May they know him. May they know this intimacy. May they know this Abba Father. And come to know the release of sins forgiven. Come to know the joy of being a son and an heir of God Almighty. Father, thank you for Jesus who came to accomplish all of these things. God, that indeed Emmanuel has come. And I pray, God, as whatever takes place in our homes this afternoon, God, may we truly celebrate. God, not just... Christmas and a, a worldly happiness and joy. God, but the deep down understanding that Emmanuel has come to be with us. God, that you have chosen to dwell among us. God, to redeem us. God, to adopt us. And in this, oh God, we do rejoice. We thank you this Christmas day for this reminder again. And we'll be reminded again next year and the year after that and the year after that. God, of the wonders of the incarnation of Jesus that, God, you came to dwell among us. We thank you for that and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.